0: Might sound strange to be talking about empowering boys, and you might be surprised to know that many parents and teachers approach boys from a deficit mindset, focusing on what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. We are turning that one around today with our guest. Stay tuned after these messages for On Boys.
1: Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah Baby, introducing a new collection.
2: This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your hosts, Jennifer LW Fink and Janet Allison.
0: We here at On Boys hope that you and your family are staying healthy and we wanted to share this product with you because this is a way to use nature's superfruit, black elderberry, to keep you healthy. Sambucol helps you feel your best with powerful immune support. Supporting your immune system is one of the best things you can do for continued good health. I feel like I'm doing my body good every day by taking Sambucol. Yep, I use it. I love the gummies. I love the syrup. They have chewable tablets. They have drink powder. It's easy to incorporate into your wellness routine. We Feel very confident recommending this product to you, Sam Bucol. Give it a try, keep your family healthy, build that immune capacity. We want you to stay healthy. Sam Bucol, go to sambucolusa.com. That's S A M B U C O L. USA.com and use boys15 to get 15% off your first order. That's Sam Stay healthy, dear listeners. Not only do Jen and I want you to stay physically healthy, we want to support our boys' emotional and mental health too. You may have heard our podcast with Jake and Jonathan of Next Gen Men we have teamed with them to bring you the next gen men course i've taken it jen's taken it and we want you to know about it so you can take it too i learned some new things i bet you will too here's more about
2: next gen men when my boys were born i was winging it i had no classes no boy specific information and I learned by making a lot of mistakes. I wish, Janet, I wish that the Raising Next Gen Men course had been available when my kids were little.
0: Yes. So if you are raising littles, if you are raising tweens, if you are raising teens, the Next Gen Men course is going to be informative, inspirational, Inside this course, you will meet some people that you've likely heard on our podcast before. Dr. Michael Reichart, Adam Cox, Michael Thompson, all of these advocates and change makers are highlighted in this course. So you are going to have new information, new inspiration for raising those boys into great men. You can find the course at nextgenmen.ca. Slash shop and use the Envoy's coupon code for a discount. As always, Jen and I appreciate you supporting our sponsors so we can keep bringing you fabulous guests like our guest today, talking about how you can empower your boy and why we need to.
2: We're going to talk about empowering boys today. To some people, that sounds strange, why on earth do boys need to be empowered when the world is still predominantly run by men? But if you are listening to this podcast, you know, you already know that reality is more complex. You know that a lot of our boys are struggling. You know that many parents and teachers and others, coaches, people in the community, in our churches, approach boys from what I call a deficit mindset, focusing on what is wrong with them and what we need to fix. When I shared that observation with today's guest, Laurie A. Couture, she said to me, our boys are not deficient. They are wonderful and beautiful. And I knew right then that we needed to have her on the podcast. Welcome, Laurie.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer.
2: So a little bit about her. She is an author. She is a mother. She is a homeschooler, a mental health specialist, a boy advocate. We serve together on the advisory board of the Boys Initiative. And during our last meeting, she happened to mention that she is finishing up her second book, which is entitled Nurturing and Empowering Our Sons. When did you first personally recognize this need to empower our boys, our sons?
3: I actually was aware of it back in high school when I saw just how unjustly boys were treated compared to us girls. Professionally or getting towards professionally, it was actually the topic of sexual abuse that first alerted me To the dangerous double standards in our society's institutions about uh, male victims and female perpetrators. When I first got into college, really, and I started doing volunteer work and then slowly started getting into the professional work. But when I started doing that early volunteer work and I started to get into the human services literature and the classes like psychology, sociology, human development, every single thing that you would hear about gender was boys and men are pathology.
2: Janet is nodding her head. I wish you all could see this. This,
3: Exactly. There is this absolute um, dictomy of male equals oppressor or female equals victim or oppressed. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing the volunteer work in these agencies that worked with sexual assault and domestic violence, I kept thinking that it was merely a lack of education that was causing this ignorance to the fact that there are just as many male victims of sexual assault and domestic violence and just as many female perpetrators. That was clear when talking to everyday people. That was clear when growing up and and talking to my friends. I assumed at the time in my naivety and my you know being 20 21 years old that it was just a lack of education but when i actually entered the professional fields i first started out in social work i start i started out working to license foster parents i worked in the foster care system and then i got into working uh, i also worked in early childhood education then I entered the field and started working as a licensed mental health counselor and became a trauma specialist for children. And at that point, I was very well aware in working in these deeply feminist systems, educated in these deeply feminist systems, that it was not in fact ignorance or lack of education that was causing this dichotomy of male equals oppressor, female equals victim or oppressed, it was willful. It was willful propaganda. And that is when I realized we're in trouble because this propaganda is being pushed for a political purpose. And the more years that I was in the field, the more that became clearer and clearer to me. And I worked in other fields as well, wore different hats with children. I did a lot of uh, outreach in schools. I also did a juvenile justice contract, and it does not matter which institution in our society you look in, there is that same mindset that males are the oppressors, females are the victims. And so, therefore, if there is an existence of male victims and female perpetrators, well, it's only a small amount. That is factually and empirically false the empirical research that i have spent almost 30 years delving into and exploring and writing about shows unequivocally that boys especially but boys and young men are equal equally at risk for sexual and domestic violence and in fact when it comes to teen dating violence boys are actually the primary victims when it comes to domestic violence in the home females Mothers are the uh, primary perpetrators of child abuse, fatal child abuse and domestic violence against their husbands or boyfriends.
0: Um, I want to go back to what you said about willful propaganda, but I also want to like hold that up with maybe a code of silence. Yes, we could say that there you know, we don't talk about mothers who perpetrate emotional abuse, who physically abuse their their sons. We or sexually, or sexually yeah. use their boys. So, who? Just to clarify, where's the willful propaganda coming from? I just need to get clear on that.
3: Well, that's a that's a subject for a whole nother podcast. That starts okay. getting get really deep, and it goes back to the 1800s. And so, in the 1990s, I believe it was with the advent of the book "Abused Boys" by Mick Hunter. 1990, Mick Hunter put out these. Uh, he ended up putting out three books. About sexually abused boys and men. And what ended up happening was there was a small period of time where there was awareness building in the culture in the 90s that oh my gosh, violence, sexual and domestic violence, is not a gender issue. It's a it's a human crime. Mm-hmm. Now Maury Strauss at the family research lab, at, you know, here in New Hampshire had exposed this way back in 1985 with their studies, their their studies of family violence. So finally, in the 90s, there was this new awareness that, okay, so sexual and domestic violence is not a gender crime. It's a human crime. Let's pull this way back
2: in because I give birth to a son. Yes. I was not born in the 1800s. I wasn't even alive in the early 1900s. Odds are, if I'm giving birth to a son now, I might not have even been alive in the 1900s period. I know none of this. I have a little boy. Okay, I'm raising my son. I personally was not aware of um, some of the challenges that boys faced until mine got old enough to like they hit about school age. Mm -hmm. What can parents be doing Mm -hmm. to empower their sons? I alone am not going to change, you know, hundreds of years of of society and we can work towards that. But what can I do to equip my son to live in this world?
3: I believe that you can affect hundreds of years of history by one single act of how you parent your little boy. A lot of parents are not going to want to hear this, but this is what I recommend needs to be done to protect your child today. Get them out of the public school system. Homeschool them. And for anybody who says you can't, I homeschooled my son as a single working parent. It can be done. It can be done by people who are living paycheck to paycheck on a very limited budget. The key to the mindset is you have to not see public school as an option, and it's amazing the options that can come up. There are also other options for education that are not necessarily homeschooling, such as alternative education, mm-hmm. um, play-based schools that are hands-on and kinesthetic, which is what boys need. There are schools where you spend most of the day out in nature. Forest there are schools. M- yeah. exactly there are wonderful wonderful lists and i get i i dedicate chapters of this in my in my upcoming book on how parents can get their children their sons out of these toxic anti male boys are have a pathology mindset schools boys should be spending the majority of their day moving if they if if children in general But if boys are sitting sedentary, either at a school desk or in front of a screen, then there is something wrong. That is taking them out of what nature intends for their development. Yeah. As a
0: a parent who chose alternative education for my daughters, not my sons, but also as a uh, university-trained teacher, it's so clear to see that the school systems, which are, you know, as they are now, are only, what, 100, and maybe 150 yeah. years old. Yes, and they were, they are designed to accommodate girls. They're very yes. female-friendly, female-centric. Most of the early childhood and elementary school teachers, as you know, are female. It is the I'd say maybe a, a empowered female who is interested in understanding boys. That's how I came into this work was I had all these boys in my class and I did not understand what was going on. So I got educated really quickly, which was not easy to do in the mid 90s because we weren't talking about boys at that time. That's right. That's right. And, and so for parents, and I, I talk about this all the time, is you need to, understand whether your teacher is boy friendly and whether the school is boy friendly. But in that place of looking at, we've only had this kind of system for 150 years, Mm -hmm. looking back at how did boys learn? They were apprentices. They were out moving their bodies, just as you're saying, you know, they were taking care of animals and growing crops and learning by watching older people do the work. And so I I just encourage parents to think about, think outside of here and now and, and that bigger scope, which is what you're talking about.
3: Yes, everything I focus on in my work and in helping parents to understand the development of children, and in this case, boys, is what is nature's intent? Let's bring it back to our paleolithic ancestors. How did they parent and educate? Well, they parented for attachment, for the human attachment cycle, which is something that most parents are not aware of in agricultural and in industrialized cultures. We are not aware that the children did not go to school. They learned through play. That is the vehicle by which the child's development works. That is the vehicle by which the child's brain actually and they learn also enough.
2: by being in close proximity to adults in their that's community. Right. They learn like by, by, by watching what, what, what their parents did, why, what the right. other adults did, uh, grandparents.
3: That's, that's absolutely right. Um, they want to be part of the adult world. You know, of course, we're not talking about child labor. We're talking about child play. In paleolithic hunter-gatherer cultures, Children got to watch what the adults were doing. They got to try it out if they didn't like it. Okay, there was no qualms with them going back and returning to the group of kids. Kids spent most of their days um, in multi-age groups of children. And they played, they rode in canoes, they climbed trees, they played games. They were rough and tumble from morning till night. And I'm telling you, when uh, my son Uh, When uh, we used to attend a lot of the uh, larger homeschooling and unschooling conferences, uh, we spoke at a few of them. My son and I, my son actually ran some workshops. And I'm telling you, the teenage boys didn't matter that all the way up to, you know, age 19, 20, from the littlest boys to the older, those kids especially, but the boys never stopped running around in the halls (laughs) of the hotel, which they were allowed to in these cases, and outdoors. And it was from morning till night, those kids never stopped playing. And it didn't matter the age, whether they were toddlers, teens, or coming into young adulthood, they never stopped running and playing. The And the interesting thing is, when they did want to focus on, say, a game that required some sitting down and kind of focusing, they were able to do it without any problem. Yes. Because at a moment's notice, they could leave that situation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately our schools are set up di- diametrically opposed to child development. I don't believe that they are that they are set up for girls either. However, many girls I was not included among that because I was a very hyperactive girl, but most girls can can get through the day. Boys cannot. So we make them wrong. We make them bad. We flip the equation so that they're sitting still for most of the day instead of moving. And then the acting out behavior is then punished with psychotropic drugs. Mm. And that was my field. My field was, you know, mental health field. And a boy comes in, he's giving his teacher trouble. And that's what the system wanted the therapist to do is refer them for drugs. But but the acting out behavior is nature's alarm signal telling you mm-hmm. this environment, alert, alert, this environment is toxic for this child. Mm-hmm. One of the most
2: challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. That's an interesting paradigm shift for a lot of parents. You know, we talk about um, reframing on here and we talk about our first internal interpretations of what we see our children doing isn't necessarily correct, right? If a kid is throwing a tantrum, if a kid Mm. hits another kid, if a kid doesn't do what I asked personally, my default based on how I grew up and how I was parented, Mm -hmm. I can be very quick to assume it's disrespect. And yeah. a lot of times it's got nothing
3: to do with nothing me to do with that.
2: No whatsoever. So what you are suggesting right now is when you see this acting out behavior, consider it an alarm. Something is wrong. Something yes. is wrong.
3: So now It is nature's alarm. It's I need to investigate. Alarm. Yes. Yes. It is nature's way of saying something in this child's environment is going against life. Something is not meeting that child's needs. The child is not at homeostasis. Now, one of the first things I do when I when I work one-to-one with, with uh, families and in my many, many years, I would always teach parents about the human attachment cycle. It is a four-point circle. And picture at the top, it's child has a need. That's step one of the human attachment cycle. Step two is, Child expresses the need. So that could be through crying, asking, Mm -hmm. telling, pointing, or acting out. And the only step where we as the adults, the parents, the teachers can intervene is in step three, parent meets need as soon as possible and with sensitivity. Now, if we do that, that brings us to step four, which is child feels homeostasis, That means internally and externally, all systems are good. There's a feeling of trust, joy, and just a sense that, wow, that feels great. And what happens is that breeds what's called secure attachment. If you go up, if you are able to complete that cycle over and over and over, the child feels secure attachment. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may recall
2: our recent conversation with Dr. Mona Delahook. And she used slightly different terminology. She talked about the green pathway and the red pathway. But really, she was talking also about homeostasis and about how this is the child's way of expressing a need. We get curious, figure it out, meet that need. She used the term co regulation. It's all part of this. Mm-hmm. Our children look to us to help get these needs met that they can't when we help meet these needs, it facilitates this attachment between us, this connection. And, you know, I think all three of us have learned that that connection is key for all the other stuff. If that connection is solid, it's so much easier to navigate the challenges that life will toss your way.
3: Yes, and unfortunately, in a, in agricultural and industrialized cultures, most children today do not have a secure attachment um, because the way our society is set up, it's not possible to have a secure attachment if you um, are engaging in everyday life and the way that we were raised and you know, what we have to go through. Now, the opposite of that is at step three, So step one is child has a need. Step two, child expresses the need. At step three, if the parent delays or the the adult and caretaker delays or denied the need or responds insensitively, which of course is the story of school, no needs are met in school. Children all day long sit and learn how to endure pain, physical, mental, emotional. And so what happens is at step three, if there is that big X there, that the need was not met, then step four now is child is distressed, which means they are feeling they're feeling a dysregulation. So no longer homeostasis. They are dysregulated. They are feeling mistrust, lack of safety, anger, possibly even rage, anxiety. And that does not go away. What happens is when the next need comes along then that cycle has been backed up from before. It's like a bunch of trains on a track, boxcars smashing into one another. And then what happens is you have what's called disrupted or insecure attachment, which I would say 90% of kids in our culture have. And you know that by the way they act. You can tell they are either super people-pleasing or they are acting out aggressive or you know have all kinds of cognitive distortions. Um, They are pushing away from their parents. A lot of people think that the adolescent years, that it is a quote, natural thing to individuate away from your parents and push them away and go to the peer group. That is not natural at all. There is no society that could have sustained themselves that way. So that is actually a function of early attachment disruption. I wanna be um,
2: kind to our parents here (laughs) and acknowledge that Some of this is really, really challenging because frankly, modern society is not very friendly to what we need as adults. We are functioning in systems that we don't have the support we need. We uh, don't necessarily get regular sleep, regular rest, emotional support, Mm -hmm. all of those things. So be kind to yourself and realize yes. that y- you know you have to take care of your own self too. And no parent in the history of the planet ever has 100% met all of their children's needs in a timely fashion. You can be a great parent and not do this perfectly.
3: And we've got to remember too that we went through the same um, disrupted attachment and so did our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents. So this is a cycle that it's up to us to try our best to break. We aren't going to be able to do it perfectly. You are absolutely right, Jennifer. And it isn't possible to meet every need. Children are very resilient. As long as we are on that cycle though, the majority of the time, kids are super resilient. Paleolithic parents weren't able to meet every single need. But the key is, it's not about blaming ourselves or feeling guilty. It is about understanding that we need to look at why our children are acting the way they are acting, why are boys struggling, and instead of feeling ashamed, which of course then puts the focus on us rather than where it needs to be on the children, we need Mm -hmm. to turn that into proactive action and say, what can I do to help? Rather than staying stuck in this idea of, oh, I'm a terrible parent. That doesn't help anyone because right. it's not anyone's fault. It's not our, it's not our fault, it's not our parents' fault, it's not our great grandparents' fault all the way up. They we all do the best we can. However, once our consciousness is aware, we are responsible for the knowledge we have to try to make changes to help our children. Because remember, if we're struggling, how do you think? our children feel when they are completely helpless and they are completely at the mercy of these adults in their life. Like say the teachers who are treating them this way, they're at their mercy. Yeah.
0: I think one thing this can, can do for parents. And I, I mean, my heart is feeling very tender towards all those parents listening out there Mm -hmm. that, you know, it is hard. We are in a hard spot. I think part Mm -hmm. of it can be looking at our kids and just recognizing this is what's going on they are not intending to no. manipulate us or to be bad on purpose which is kind of where we mm-hmm. can go when we're really tired and exhausted and we think they're they're that they're acting this way on purpose and yeah. kind of taking that off the table and going oh wait a minute huh take a deep breath looking at it differently what you're telling us just we too have that disrupted cycle and it's like you know we can begin to stitch things together we can do the tiny repairs and start small
3: just and you know that's the beauty of it um jana is that we can get right back on that human attachment cycle immediately there is it's never too late So rather than beat ourselves up and say, oh gosh, I didn't do this or that. Well, we can start today. That's the beauty of the human attachment cycle is we can get right back on it and start at any time we want with that child. And kids are so forgiving. Even a small change, you know, increasing the physical affection, looking them in the eye and spending that one-to-one time really listening to them. Going and doing a fun activity with them, those simple changes can make such a difference and bring such a smile to the to their and face. And really listening to them can mean
2: listening to them telling you all about what they're doing in Roblox or yeah. Minecraft. It can mean listening to what they're fixing on their snowmobile. Don't ask why I'm using this as an example, <laughs> Janet. You already know. What? Sam I'm brought not home interested in that. Come on, you guys. Sam brought home another machine yesterday. Sam is my sixteen-year-old. He's my youngest. Yesterday, it's not even his day here. It's his day with his dad. He comes home, and there is a uh, a mini four wheeler in the back of the minivan that he's driving. I'm like, well, why? Well, I got it for 150 mm-hmm. bucks. Okay, but Love it. but why? <laughs>
3: <laughs> cherish His, cherish that exactly I, I His mean
2: brother and friend and they work on it and they fix these things and you know I do what I can to change the status quo but one of the things that I also do to empower my boys is give them as much space and support as I can to be who they are and to pursue their interests. and in this case We've given up a third of the garage already. We're (laughs) doing an expansion (laughs) and we've got snowmobiles and four wheelers and parts. And this is, this is what they do. And, and Janet's heard me say this, other people that listen to the podcast have, I value Sam's time in the garage a lot. I am not necessarily going to say you have to go do your homework first because what he's doing in the garage is super important to him and his development. And especially when he was in elementary school and you know, there's no shop classes for eight year olds. There should be, but there's not. Uh, This is how I could give him the space to do things that he didn't get to do in other parts of his life.
3: Yes. And, and as a mother, a, a mother who has had the tragedy of my son passing away I'm telling you those thousands of, uh, of, of hours of monologue that my son would give me about Dungeons and Dragons and Lego Bionicles and Pokemon. He wanted to show me and spend time involving me in the times I played Magic the Gathering when I really didn't <laughs> want to. I cherish, I cherish a million times a day every yes. time I said yes. So it's so important to say yes. The homework isn't important. And and if 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 you're homeschooling, you know that working on the machine is the work. I mean, yes. that is the, the Pokemon work. Pokemon
2: can you be know. your math for the yes. day. It can um, be your reading for the day.
3: I do want to say this on the record. Um, I do believe, and and I know that this is uh this is a touchy subject, um, but uh the, based on the research that I have done on it, uh, we really need to unplug our boys from screens. They are on screens far too much and for too long and their lives are their lives are slowly seeping away from them boys need to be physically active they need to be out and doing things with their hands video games is not video games are not actual play they're not the type of play that nature intended for for child development it's a very different type of process that's happening in the mind Mm-hmm. um so kids that say that their passion is video games that that's not a passion that's an addiction. So it's very important that we that we try to find ways to get them involved in real life and put video games in their place. so that I gotta push back just a little bit. I, because... I imagine you will. everyone pushes back <laughs> but you know if you read the research it's very scary on what is happening uh, yes. to them chemically, What is happening to their body, their skeleton, their muscles, their eyes, their uh, fine motor skills, and what is happening to them chemically in the brain? I do believe it can be a passion
2: for some. I am not going to go in absolutes. And my reason is because I have a brother for whom it was a passion and he currently makes a living as a video game designer. Of course, yes, and and and
3: there's always those people, but unfortunately, I think a lot of kids think that that's going to be them. Yeah, you know, and,
2: As a general yeah. rule of thumb, myself included, I would be better off spending more time outside, being physical, than inside on my computer or on my phone. Yes, that's me, and I'm not even you know an eight or ten year old boy, so. <laughs> And exactly. I think
0: that from the parents I talked to, this is an uphill battle. It absolutely yeah. is an uphill battle. Parents will say, oh, well, that, that's where they are connected to their friends. They're mm-hmm. playing games mm-hmm. online together with their friends. And, you know, we've got a pandemic and we're not supposed to be gathering. And, and all of those things seem set against this idea that boys yeah. need movement. They need to yeah. be outside. And boys are resisting that. And yet, it is what they need. Yeah, they're resisting
3: it because chemically they can't control themselves. They are they they they're at this point they they can't control that, and unfortunately. the so-called social interaction they're getting on a screen is not the same type of facial nuances that you would get with body language when you're, and this this is a crucial for kids that are on the autism spectrum. They, you know, it's hard enough for them to pick up the social skills, Mm. uh, let alone if they're not in in person with somebody. We miss so much by just being on screens. This is where we can help each other because as we've mentioned,
2: Our society doesn't make it easy for any of us to do the things that are really good for us. So part of empowering our boys means empowering each other. It means supporting your fellow parents as they are working on raising their boys and creating conditions where boys can flourish. It means creating spaces and welcoming a bit of noise and chaos Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. activity and mess We can work together, empower each other, empower our boys, make this world better for all of us in the long run.
3: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I just love those years I miss so much is I was a taxi from all my son's (laughs) friends and we would, they would come here and they could come here when I was, when I was at work because I trusted these kids, these, these homeschooled kids, there was nothing not to trust. The worst thing they did one time was burn my spaghetti pot. And I remember saying, you know, it's wonderful to be a mom and you come home and the kids burn the burn the pot. They're not smoking it, you know? <laughs> and I remember just thinking, you know, I let them jump on the couch. They had wild Nerf battles in the house you know, then my nephews would come over and my little niece. And it was like, I, I loved having this house full of kids and you have to be able to tolerate the noise and, and just the boyness and and revel in, in, in how wonderful it is. My kids and, burned my spaghetti pot too. How it, interestingly.
2: Right? In this case, I'm like, how, what did you guys do? It took a while to get the story as it sometimes does, but in this yes. case, Somebody had put a soda in the freezer because they wanted it (laughs) to get cold, but it froze. So they then put it in the spaghetti pot on the stove to try and thaw it out, which didn't exactly go as well as they anticipated. And this also explained the strange um, stains on the ceiling in my kitchen. (laughs) Wow.
3: (laughs) And that's, you know, and that's the beauty of the the ingenuity of boys and- And so if you allow your home to be boy friendly and don't worry about the couch, you can get, you know, someday you can get a new couch. I mean, yes, it's, you I know, totally you, agree. You know that to me, do you really want a pristine sofa or a pristine rug? Or do you want a place where you will have beautiful memories that your child and you will have for the rest of their lives and your lives? When we when we finally um
2: did get rid of the couch because the the, the kids are older moved you know like now they yeah. can, they can understand we um made a great big giant bonfire with it and <laughs> they had fun with that too. oh that's great again very boy friendly yeah so it sounds like
3: you 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 make it so fun with even those types of steps yeah so part of the
0: point here dear listeners is um opening up your lens a little bit relaxing a little bit and that is a way that we can empower our boys When what when we can embrace that ingenuity, even if it means you have to buy a new spaghetti pot. But new <laughs> the new one's better. The new one's better.
2: The new one's better. They yeah. did me a yeah. favor. Yeah, get a
0: better coach, so they don't feel what they often feel if they are in the school system that they are bad, that they are wrong, yeah. that and they, they are, are too much, they're too noisy, yes. they're too active. We have to change that message and embrace that. And I will say, I know for some moms, that's really hard. It's hard on their nervous system. They talk about, you know, it's too noisy. It hurts my head. And and so it's finding, you know, finding a balance in there. But letting your boy be a boy is the best way to empower him. That's right where can
2: people find more of your work? Where can they find your books? And if you know when this uh, Empowering Boys book is coming out, tell us about that as well.
3: Website lauriercouture.com is where you can kind of keep an eye on. I do have a YouTube channel, Laurier where I have some videos on how parents can homeschool, even if you are a single working parent. Um, I have a lot of free content on there. Um, My first book, Instead of Medicating and Punishing, is available on Amazon, or you can order it from me directly if you'd like a signed copy. And Nurturing and Empowering Our Sons, which I actually have, um, the cover has been designed. That's my son on the front. Beautiful. Um, We are hoping that this book will be out by late 2022. This book is going to cover everything parents need to know, and it's going to work with any level of distress that you are having with your child, whether your child is just slightly acting out or whether your child has extreme emotional and behavioral issues to the point where they may have been incarcerated. This book is also for, uh, it has uh, plenty of information in there for adoptive families. This book it will teach you how to get your child into alternative education, homeschooling. It'll help you look at boys through nature's eyes, what nature intends for them. And most importantly, it helps us to understand that we all have suffered trauma as well as them. And if we can keep that empathy and compassion for one another, then we and for ourselves, then we will be equipped to give it to our sons. But if parents cannot give themselves that compassion, then they're going to feel defensive and they won't be able to give it to their boys. Mm -hmm. So it's important, like you said, Jennifer, for us to support one another, for us to have compassion for our parents, for our grandparents, and so on, for what they went through and understand that, that the science of epigenetics is more important than genetics. Trauma does get passed down into the DNA. Trauma does change a person's genetic code and our health trajectory. And so the good news though is we can fix that today. We can start helping our boys today. And my book is going to take parents by the hand through every step of it. Yes, it's going to be tough to read it, but we sometimes need to do these, we do, you know, like the, the mantra was in early 2020, we have to do hard things. Well, in this case, we need to do the hard thing of first understanding the problem in order for us to fix it.
2: Thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about empowering our boys today.
3: You're very welcome. Thank
0: you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this podcast valuable and interesting, please share it with a friend and do support our sponsors, sambucallusa.com. Use the code BOYS15 for 15% off your first order. Use the power of Black Elderberry to keep your family healthy this winter and also next gen men you can tell from what we've talked about today that we have a lot of work to do and a long way to go to empower our boys next gen men is already doing it check out the course go to nextgenmen.ca slash shop and you'll find it there Use the ONBOYS code for 15% off. And as always, Jen and I, thank you so much for being our listeners. Thank you so much for being the boy parents, boy teachers, and boy advocates that our boys need all of us to be. Thank you for listening to ONBOYS Parenting Podcast.